Hey everyone, welcome to the Regeneration Podcast, doing something a little different today in that normally it's myself, Isaac, and Jay hosting, and we have uh, have on guests to talk about different theological issues and cultural issues of the day, but Mr. Jay Kim uh, has his book coming out shortly, Analog Church, and it's an incredible book. I got to read it uh, yesterday. Of course, you know, I'm biased. Of course, I'm going to recommend it, but I think it's something that uh, every, really every church leader in America should be reading. Uh, Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, it's something you need to be wrestling with. So the book is titled Analog Church. And before we get started on anything, um, what do you mean by analog church? And then we'll jump from there. Yeah, totally. Well, this is weird, man. It is weird. It <laughs> it's is like weird. Usually asking the questions, uh, but yeah, um, that's a great question. Analog. I've been getting that question a lot, and uh, I think I made an assumption years ago when I thought about the books. Like everyone gets it, right? Everyone gets analog. But I realize you and I both grew up in a really interesting time in human history where, like, both of us grew mm-hmm. up right in that intersection mm-hmm. where we lived the the exchange of an analog world becoming digital we're so, bilingual yeah we're bilingual that's a great way to put it totally because um, you were telling me before we hit re- record there's like kids who are 15 and younger they're like what are you even talking about <laughs> yeah yeah it's like what's analog what what is that which makes all the sense in the world because they were just born into a to use your metaphor single language mm-hmm. reality everything's digital yeah by analog I mean the word analog by its very nature, has to do with um, uh, like physical mechanisms, but you know it's it has an elasticity to it. The word, so I guess the best way to put it, without going into great detail, the best way to put it, the way I'm using the word, one obviously I'm trying to contrast against digital, which we're all familiar with. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, analog is that which is not digital. And by that, what I mean is analog is spatial, embodied, physical reality. So the title of the book, Analog Church, you could read it simply to mean that. What I'm suggesting and arguing for and supporting is a is an understanding of the church, an ecclesiology that is not only at its roots, but in its very expression physical, embodied, spatial, shoulder to shoulder, and I would argue human in the most, um, in the deepest sense. A, a big part of the book is wrestling with the issues that churches are are wrestling with in that um, as culture moves and leans more into technology, we become uh, more dependent upon technology. Yeah. And your point isn't that all technology is bad, it's evil, let's get rid of it. I mean, we're we're recording right now yeah, a totally. podcast. People are listening on their People are going devices. to listen on their yeah. devices online. Um, but you're wrestling with what should churches adopt and what should they maybe not adopt? And yeah. that answer is different for for every church and every yep. every context, but there at the beginning of the book, there's a, a, a story you tell. It's illustrative of the situation. A story of a friend named Jake. Yep. And I'd like I'd like you to share that because it gets to the heart of why churches exist. If we exist yeah. to worship God and to preach the gospel, those those are our driving sort of yeah mission. That's our mission. Yep. So the story of Jake kind of illustrates how we might not actually be being faithful. Mm. 
by our early adoption of so much? Yeah, 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 that's a great question. Not even early adoption, but I would say in many cases, reckless, thoughtless adoption, Mm. right? Here it is, new technology, boom, let's use it, right? Um, Yeah, so my friend Jake, he's uh, in his late 20s now, and I've known him for going on 15 years. I met him when he was like, high school kid, freshman or something in high school, freshman, sophomore. And, uh, I met him because he started coming to our church. I was the youth pastor at the time. So I was his youth pastor growing up. And, um, he went from being a student to becoming a good friend. And eventually, you know, after high school, he's always been really musical and talented. After high school, he started dabbling in EDM, electronic dance music, which is like giant, genre of music i mean if you're if you're not into it you don't know what it is like i'm not super into it so i'm not super familiar but if you just like google it or read wikipedia i mean we're talking like it's sort of like you're all in or you don't care yeah that's how it is but there's a world that's all in there's a world that's totally all in and by that it truly is the world like jake now is uh, a fairly well-known um touring uh professional edm artist and by touring i mean he's like you know, he's sending me pictures from China. Yeah, you know, and it ain't at, little clubs. Oh no, 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 no! We're talking open fields. Yeah, eight thousand Chinese kids just rocking out to mm-hmm. his turntables and his laptop. Basically, yeah. it's crazy. So he uh, he plays these venues sometimes outdoor festivals, but a lot of times he plays these giant indoor venues. And if you just Google it, man, look up EDM or YouTube it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's. It's everything that you would think of in terms of like modern music in the digital age. It's like laser lights and fog and huge bass beats and, um, you know, crazy, right? Like uh, the digital spectacle of like giant screens and moving graphics and all that kind of stuff. So uh, when he got to college, Jake um, walked away from the church and from his faith in some ways. I think he'd probably categorize himself right now as an agnostic, I think. I don't want to speak for him. Um, I just had dinner with him a couple months ago, and that's kind of where he's leaning. But he, um, he, when he comes back in town, he lives in L.A. now, but he, when he comes back in town where we live, he'll go to church with his family because his family still goes. And he went to a church uh, recently, um, uh, about a year ago or something, when he was in town. And he was telling me about this experience. We were talking about it via text, and he was describing the experience to me. Yeah. And he was like, man, I walked in, dark, dimly lit room. There was like, you know, the fog machine and laser lights, big giant screen, Mm -hmm. uh, the music super loud, big, huge subs, you know, hitting the bass. And uh, and then like the the pastor who gave the sermon popped up after the music on a screen and he was like 20 miles away or something. He's describing this experience to me. Right. And it just hit me. He, on one hand, he's describing basically a pseudo version of what he creates like yeah, every regular. night when he's on yeah. tour. And he said so. It was like, I do this stuff professionally. Like, this feels like a wannabe version of one of my shows. And then he said this to me. He said, dude, I didn't feel this verbatim. He texted hmm. me, dude, I didn't feel cool enough to be there. I don't think church should be like that. Wow. Which that just... One, it it surprised me, but two, I couldn't shake that yeah. for months. I was like, okay, something's happening here. Here's a, you know, twenty-something millennial, um, uh, possibly you know, borderline Gen Z 
kid who most, if not all of our churches and the leaders listening to this are desperate. We're desperate to reach guys like him. Yeah, that's the target audience. That's the target in so many ways, right? That's the mission. Um, and here he goes to a church that is doing everything within their power to try to reach him. Yeah. And he experiences it like diametrically opposed to the mission of the church. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what, dude? Like, this yeah. is not... I, and it's not because he's unfamiliar. He's like, I create environments like this professionally all the time. Yeah. And this is not what I'm looking for when I step foot into a church. Um, and I think that gets to a, a dichotomy that I get into in the book that we've sort of, in the modern Western evangelical church, again, in my opinion, we have recklessly and in many cases thoughtlessly run hard after relevance. We're just mm. trying to create environments that we think young people especially, but all people can relate to. Mm -hmm. And what we are discovering in growing mass, I think, especially when it comes to young people, especially unchurched young people, they're not looking. If they take the risk to step into your church, they're not hoping that it looks, sounds, and feels like everything else in their life. They're taking that risk because they're hopeful there's something there that they can't find anywhere else, which I would define as transcendence, not relevance. Mm -hmm. um, so Jake and I have talked many times after that, and uh, it's you know it's an interesting thing. Yeah, that line, the temptation to pursue relevance at any cost. I, I highlighted it in the, in the book, but that's what you're you're getting at, and it's like it may be a a double negative in that one. It might be a sin to pursue relevance mm. at any cost, just kind of theolo philosophy of ministry-wise. Yep. Especially the any cost Yeah, part, at any cost. Which is tr but truly even happening. more than that, it might only not be sinful. It might be unwise in the sense that it's not actually practically yep. true yeah. in that the ones we're called to reach aren't going for that anyway. Yeah. Um, now, one of the pushbacks, obviously, is people say, well, you know, well, that's not true. Look at the churches that are doing it are are huge, and they yeah, have right. so, so many people. And uh, you and I have talked before about that, and, um, you know, the, the, the issue is, how long does that last, and yeah. who is it reaching? Yeah. Um, we're beginning to see signs, and you talk a little bit about this in the book, of, of that kind of way is sort of plateauing right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and who is it actually reaching? Is it reaching, you know, how many church kids went to youth groups that were just so painfully boring, yeah. but they never lost their faith? Yeah. All they needed was something a little less boring yes. to ignite them. Yeah. But the average person on the streets who thinks Christianity is racist, misogynistic, sexist, whatever, yeah. isn't going to be lured into your church because of yeah. the spectacle yep. type, yeah. type of thing. Yeah, totally. I, I think that there is... Uh, a much shorter <clears throat> shelf life, to use that word you just used, there's a much shorter shelf life to the spectacle approach. And it's it's increasingly proving to be missionally ineffective. Um, if you're talking about an event, you know, so, I mean, here's one of the reasons why I think this happens. There's lots of reasons, but one of the reasons, you know, every year, I, I don't anymore, but for, for many years, every year, uh, the staff I, I was a part of at, at previous churches, we'd go like every year to the bit, and I won't name names, but we all know 
places I'm talking about. You we'd, can find the names uh, listed in the, <laughs> the notes below the yeah. episode. Now, we'd go yeah. to these big giant conferences, you know? We'd like hop on a plane and fly to some other part of the country and it's held in some giant venue. And and I'm not against that necessarily. If, if the spectacle is sort of a three-day event to hopefully inspire and yeah. motivate and, and, and it almost becomes, and again, I don't mean this in a totally negative way, it almost becomes like a Christian leader Disneyland experience. You yeah. pay a lot of money and you come in and you just get these quick hit 30 minute talks from famous Christian leaders or whatever. Yeah. And then famous Christian bands and the lights are going and whatever. And you're inspired by that. Mm -hmm. Right. That's fine. That's all well and good, I guess. You know, if it's a three day event intended to, um, Help you just allow leaders to have a good time, connect, yeah. be inspired a little bit, informed for sure, yeah. and then move on. The problem is we see that at these conferences and we're not told clearly by the conferences, hey, our intention is not for you to go replicate this at your church. Mm -hmm. Our intention is to just pump you up and give you a little to energize you because we know you're in the grind of it. Yeah. Um, so the problem has become... Because that hasn't been told um, to us emphatically, so many of our churches, we go back home and we ask questions like, what kind of LED lights were they using at that conference? Let's get that for yeah. our church. And, let, and the reality is it doesn't, it doesn't hurt the conference because conferences aren't supposed to have long shelf lives. Yeah. It's a three-day event. You go to the event, then you're done, and, and you move on to the yeah. next. You don't live at Disneyland. You, you don't live at Disneyland, yeah. yeah. But leading and serving a community and a congregation in a local church is a totally different thing. Yeah, like Spectacle will not work unless you're looking for a three-day event, and then that's it. That's the entirety of your church. But that's not. none of us are looking for that. Or it's, in a sense, as you said, unless your goal is to energize and make people excited. Right, right. But then simultaneously not develop the theological roots, the discipleship that takes place in a more embodied That's right. context. Yeah, for the long haul, you know, slow and steady. Hey, come in and journey with us. We're inviting you to be a part of this community, not to consume some product and leave. How, yeah. like, how many times do you hear Someone who's in ministry, or maybe it's not even, in, they're, not, they're not in ministry, they're not a pastor, they're not, a, they're not on staff, but they're significantly involved in their church. And how many times um, was it because a youth pastor took ton, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and poured into them? I'm yep. here, yeah. I'm a lead pastor of a church, and many people were involved in that, but it was it was my youth pastor first and totally, foremost, uh, Mike, yep. that was just like hung out with me and believed in me when no one else did. Yep, me too. Yeah, James, who was the youth pastor that um, I interned for for a couple of years and uh, when I was in college. Yeah, man, it wasn't the show and it wasn't the lights. It was him and me twice a week, sometimes over coffee, sometimes over lunch. <clears throat> him allowing me to ask tough questions, him asking me real tough questions about my life, mm -hmm. you know, digging into the scripture together. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. The uh conferences too, uh they're not they're they're sort of plateauing before. I remember that's right. like ten or fifteen years ago, there was like ten youth conferences. Yeah. Like there was there was all kinds and and even what you talked about how you bring in the the big Christian bands. Yeah. There was tons of big Christian bands yeah. that like your entire youth group knew is like, right. oh, at youth specialties, man, 
Switchfoot, Pax 217, <laughs> totally. yeah. and it'd be like, dude, Skillet, we're, yeah. we all want to go. Nothing but love. Nothing, nothing but, but love a lot of those bands. Well, a couple of them I mentioned have stuck around and had longevity, yeah, totally. especially yeah. Switchfoot and Skillet. Yep. Yeah. Um, but so many of them. It's funny. Probably the reason why those ones came to my head is because they lasted. Yeah, right. Uh, and they've been uh, like extremely faithful over and the years. And they evolved. Yeah. So like yeah. John Foreman, you know, Switchfoot, big, big, huge rock albums, but also some of his... Most popular stuff is like those seasons things that where it's like yeah. acoustic, you know what I yeah. mean? And yeah, yeah, totally. And and like they'll never remember, but I was in a band and we played with Skillet, and uh, dude, everybody knows. But give, give but, a little plug, dude. But behind the scenes, Skillet is like exposed the, the most flaw, legit. Everybody. No, that I'm was the to, first I'm, name, right? Yeah, I'm trying to pump Skillet right now, not my band. Um, the guys from Skillet, like they 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 won't even remember. They played a billion shows, but those those people are legit. Yeah. Christians who love mm. who love the Lord and have been faithful in their ministries lasted. Yeah. But on the flip side, um, so many bands didn't last, they weren't faithful, and the industry changed and yeah. no one could adjust. Yeah. And so now if you talk to your youth group kids, like the kids in the youth groups in the Bay Area, California at least, they don't know any of these Totally, Christian man. bands. That well, market. you and I run into this all the time. You, me, and Dan Kimball, who yeah. leads the Regeneration Project, every year when we talk about our big annual fall event, every year we end up asking, who are some Christian leaders or authors or musicians that people know? And we're always at a loss because that number is decreasing. Yeah. So what that tells us is, and that's tied into the spectacle yeah. approach, right? Which this is really important missionally and ecclesiologically. You know, if we think that that approach is going to work, we're like gravely mistaken. That era, in my opinion, is all but dead and gone. It's dead. Yeah. You know, so for us, even at the Regen Project, when we think about our events now, what do we do? We're always leading with the questions, the topics, yeah. the stuff that really pertains to a person's life. Like, what are they wrestling with? And that's what's going to that's what's going to draw them in. And it's worked. You know, yeah. like people so often, man, you and I hear that. It's like, I don't know any of these speakers, but you told us you were going to talk about violence in the Bible. Yeah. And that, that doesn't make sense to me. So I want to know. They yeah. show up, yeah. you know, in droves. Now, in one sense, that sounds like a little bit of bad news. It's like, what was the most effective thing 10, 15 years ago isn't working? On the other side of it, this has to be really good for 95% of churches totally. in America. Yeah. Yep. For all the churches that are under 300 people, which the vast majority of churches Yeah, overwhelming majority. Are, yeah. This has to be good news. Totally. Yep. Great news. Great news. I get into it in the book, but, you know, I, I think the book uh, on the surface looks like a, a critique, and, and I critique stuff, but I don't think, I didn't write it from the posture of critique. I wrote it from the posture of hope. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm actually really hopeful about the future if we can just make uh, some specific but very easy to do adjustments in our approach. And it's exactly what you're saying. So I, I get into it in the book, more in more detail in the book. But basically, the one of the major adjustments I think we need to make, particularly in the digital age, is to stop comparing, which digital technologies are designed to make us compare. Yeah. It's what keeps us swiping and clicking and scrolling. Mm -hmm. um, stop comparing ourselves to other churches, the churches we read about, in those magazine articles or stop comparing ourselves to the church leaders and musicians we see at the conferences. Mm -hmm. um, 
And and the reason that's so important is because comparison always leads to, uh, in some ways, contempt and a pursuit of of um, essentially copying, copycatting mm-hmm. what we see, which then turns us into caricatures. We just become these ineffective, wonky caricatures of what you know what yeah. outsiders would call just like lame evangelical Christianity. And instead, the opportunity we have is not to discover something new, but to discover something timeless for one, and two, to discover something that that God himself has embedded within us, which mm-hmm. is the unique ways that we in particular as leaders and as churches are wired um, to serve and to reach uh, and to accentuate the unique qualities of the communities and congregations in the cities and towns and neighborhoods where our church happens mm-hmm. to be. I mean, that that's the beauty of the local church. Like in the town where I serve and in the town you serve, there are, there are several wonderful, amazing Christian churches. Yeah, yeah. And they're different. And the ones that are most effective and our ecclesiology in our cities and towns are going to be most robust, not when we try to become carbon copies of each yeah. other, but when we ask the question, what, who are we called to be in this moment, in this time, and in this space for these people? Yeah. Um, yeah. You see that. I see the kind of copycat thing the most right now in... Um with music in particular, where, yeah. um, okay, so Hillsong has a sound mm-hmm. that's huge. Yeah. The songs are written to be played in a stadium. Yeah. Yep. They got the synth. A sound invented by the edge of U2, by the way. Let's just. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I like Hillsong. That's not a bash on them. I'm just saying U2, yeah. the edge. Never forget. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have a, I'll remain silent on my opinions. Um, <laughs> But the, the the point being is that their sound is big. It's it's supposed to be sung in an, an arena. Yeah, it has this atmosphere. It's huge. Yep, it's, thousands of people. Um, thousands yeah. of people singing the hook type yep. of thing, and it's that's on the recording. Yeah, like it's on the recording. Yep. And then what happens is you have a young twenty three year old worship leader who loves it and is just totally digging it. Yeah, and then. Uh, he does it with his three-piece yep. band on Sunday morning, yeah. and he's trying his, be- his best to be like yeah. them. And he, and I'm not critiquing his heart here because yep. he's trying to be faithful. He's trying to totally. be relevant, but in trying to be something else and to be relevant, he's not discerning and contextualizing for his people. Where on that Sunday morning, if you would have just finger picked, holy, holy, holy. Yeah to start your service yeah. instead of starting with the power ballad right. type yeah. of thing. Yeah. It would have it would have worked. Yeah. And the good news is is that for the for the smaller churches, the medium-sized churches, which is 95% of them, um you it's okay that you don't have the budget. Yeah. It's okay that you don't have the building, you don't have to have the lights. You have to figure out what your people need. Yes. And to the point of the book what we're seeing is if we look at our culture, people are lonely they're depressed. Yeah. They don't have friends. And even the people who they are friends with, they don't have genuine intimate relationships right. with. You mentioned in the book um, observing uh, like 14 teenagers yep. at a restaurant. At lunch, yeah. And I think you counted thir- all but one, 13, yep. were in and out of their phones That's rather right. than having conversations with yeah. each other at lunch. So what do we offer the world? Yeah. An embodied faith, friendship, an answer to loneliness. Yeah. Um, that's... As, as we started with the story of your friend Jake, 
That's what the world can offer because yeah. the world is offering tons of things, but we're all more miserable, depressed, and lonely yeah. far more than we've ever been in human history. Like human history, like totally. literally, yep. since we've statistically been able to measure these things, yep. we are more lonely and sad than ever before. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Statistically, the lines are parallel, the rise of the internet age and the rise of loneliness and, and depression and anxiety. and Yeah. And it's, it's talk about one of the things I appreciated is with social media, you, you didn't just bash it. You, you gave reasons um, how it's ruining our concentration levels and yeah. how they even down to the user interface has been built yeah. to get you addicted. That's right. You talked about slot machines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, the writer Cal Newport in his book Deep Work, he has this great phrase. He calls it frenetic shallowness. That's how he defines um, what social media in particular, but lots of digital technologies are doing to us. They are creating, instilling within us a frenetic shallowness, meaning we just, because of the mechanisms of the digital age and their technologies, you know, we scroll quickly with our fingers. We, mm-hmm. we, it takes one quick light touch tap of your finger or your thumb to like something or, 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 you know, thumbs down something or yeah. whatever. Right. Um, it creates this frenetic shallowness in us. And then the problem is he says, and he's leaning heavily on neurological research, um, that's been validated and peer reviewed. When you when you wrap yourself, when you immerse yourself in a constant frenetic shallowness, your brain has plastic, plasticity. Mm-hmm. Like we can, our brains get rewired all the time, and we can actually not only temporarily, but there's the risk of permanently losing our ability and our aptitude to do what he calls deep work, mm. which is frightening if yeah. you think about it, right? Yeah. So, and this is intentional, man, because the you know the, the and I'm not bashing tech companies uh, across the board. You know, it's not monolithic. It's not like all tech companies are evil. However, uh, there is, um, you know, a guy named Tristan Harris who used to work for Google as a design ethicist, Mm -hmm. like basically the ethics of design. And he left, and this is public, he left because he realized that Google, not trying to bash Google, I I use Google and have friends who work there, but this is undeniable. I'm bashing him. (laughs) Tristan Harris left Google because he realized uh, that they just wanted him to be able to say, we have an ethics department. But none of the suggestions he was making was actually happening. The reason, according to Harris, is because to be ethical in your design is to risk um, and to to actually surrender in many ways uh, uh, the commodification of our attention and our addiction, because that's what digital technologies do. They're commodifying our attention and our addiction. So a great example of this that Harris gets into, when you think about the different apps on your phone, for example, and the way the the way they the way they work, almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them involve some form if, if you want to refresh the page, whether it's your Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, or your newsfeed or whatever, all of them share this in common. In some form or fashion, you have to pull down on the screen and then some circular moving thing sort of like spins in front of you yeah. and then the screen pops back up. That's not random. Like, And when's the last time we asked, how come all of my phone apps work that way? Yeah. It's not random. It's not a mistake. These are different companies that all use the same mechanism. Why? 
Because designers in the early days did research. And what they discovered is that in the early 20th century, when they were developing slot machines for casinos, they also did research. And what they found, for no apparent reason, what they found was that one of the ways to trigger the addictive mechanisms of the human brain was to give people um, uh, uh, the process of pulling down on a lever, sit sit down on a slot machine, pull down on a lever, see the spinning numbers before you, mm. and then have the numbers and the lever pop back up. That action, that physical action, somehow proved to be highly addictive. Mm. Now, slot machines are are digitized now, but even still, there is some form of that mechanism. Yeah, same, it's the same thing. And most casinos still have the old school slot machines. Yeah. You pull some sort of lever, a bunch of things spin, and then something pops back up yeah. and tells you whether you won or lost. It's all based on this thing called variable intermittent variable rewards, which is also highly addictive. That's why the apps on our phones work that way. Yeah. It's not a mistake. Wow. It's not random. These things are designed to, to earn your allegiance by way of your attention and addiction eventually. That's a powerful line. Earn your allegiance. Yeah. Um, you know, I think of mobile, like you said, slot machines, but mobile games, social, they're all, they all have some component yep. of that. And it's totally it's like a little bit of a pause, wait, and then yep. the reward, a little yep. bit of a pause, then the reward. Yeah. Um, There's something related to that where you talk about um, research that's been done where it takes human beings roughly seven minutes to begin engaging yeah. in meaningful conversation. Seven minutes of, of conversation for the conversation on average to gain any sort of depth or meaning. Yeah. Now, with all the devices in our hands, with all the flick down, wait, reward, yeah. uh, that's becoming near not impossible, but it's not happening. Yeah. We don't know how to do it anymore. Yeah, seven minutes sounds crazy. Yeah. And what's funny is we've been talking, um, for those of you uh, that have been listening to the whole thing, before we started, I'm like, I almost had to warm up. Like I was stumbling. <laughs> I was like, you know, I got to interview my friend Jay, and it's, it's a podcast, and how do I start? Yeah. And it, it's even besides the social media aspect, I didn't get comfortable in this conversation till yeah. seven to ten. And we minutes know each in. other really well, and we and know each other time. really <laughs> yeah. well. And um, we're we have moderately well-tuned social skills, not yeah, the best, yeah. but we're not like super awkward <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. And even with all of that said, there was still time needed. Yeah. Now, what I think about um, is in churches with discipleship, with reading your Bible, mm. with listening to sermons, with engaging in worship. I think about moms and dads talking to their kids yeah what happens to a child's brain when mom and dad don't even they can't even give them yeah. seven minutes of undivided yeah attention yeah uh, you've I taught mean, me a lot along those lines about parenting and some of the practices you put into place with your kids and we were both young parents with young kids yeah. you've got three littles and i've got two littles and um you're right man we that's exactly right and that part i don't get into parenting in the book uh because I, man, I'm a novice, and yeah. and I've got to learn, and I'm leaning on people. Um, but we're hoping that see if analog. Okay, this is very important to all our listeners. If analog <laughs> Church sells like a hundred thousand copies <laughs> in the Christian publishing industry. When you cross like a hundred thousand copies, then if you buy those books, Jay will get to write. 
Any analog book I want. dad, analog, <laughs> analog mom, dad. analog yes. people, analog <laughs> dogs, analog. analog you know, you, you yeah. know that what they the classic one was yeah. the chicken soup. Oh Maybe yeah, totally, soup. Man. That yeah. broke through to like Walmart. Those Walmart. are like millions of copies sold. There's yeah. yeah, there's like chicken soup for boys who play little league yeah, and have a chihuahua. <laughs> like it's so like in and it sold ten thousand copies. Yeah, so absolutely. That that's that's our goal <laughs> for all of you who are who are listening. Um, if you could, okay, if if you could tell the church something coming out of this, yeah. Like what? What would it be? You had a reason why you wrote this book. Yeah. What What was the heart behind it? Mm. That's a great question, man. I, you know, we talked about it earlier, um, but I think if there's just one thing I could say to those who one serve and lead in the local church, but two just are a part of a church community, uh, I think the thing I would say is the most important thing, particularly in the digital age, that we could do is to continue to lean into the highly inefficient, complex, complicated, um, really difficult work of being, actually being the people of God together. And that plays out in a number of ways, but primarily it means we need to slow down while Mm -hmm. the world speeds up. So we've got to stop thinking about church as a quick, efficient part of our week, but rather an ongoing, undeniable family we belong to at all Mm. times. So no matter where I am and what I'm doing, I'm always a dad. I'm always a husband. Um, And that frames how I make decisions. You know, it frames how I go about my day. It frames um, choices that I do and do not make, you know. Mm So we've got to slow down as the world speeds up and just immerse ourselves in the ongoing sort of lifelong commitment that is being a part of God's people. Um, We have to continue to commune, not just communicate, but like commune. I get into that in the book. The differentiation, again, those words communicate and commune have an elasticity of meaning, but the best way for me to describe it is by commune, I mean not simply the exchange of information, which is communication, Mm -hmm. but the exchange of our presence, our whole-bodied human presence. We have to do that. And that means very pragmatic things like show up. You know, It's inconvenient to show up, but as much as you can, show up. Visit one another. Yeah. You know, um, uh, not immerse yourselves physically in the lives of one another, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard, especially when it's hard, you know? Um, so, I mean, those are, those are probably a couple of things I would say. Yeah. We, we have to slow down and immerse ourselves in the, in the long story of what it means to be God's people together and, and continue to show up and be with one another. What's interesting is we're recording this right um, in the middle of the week when corona just like yep. upgraded it it, yep. it it leveled up yeah so a few just a couple weeks ago it was still sort of like yeah wash your hands right um <laughs> yeah you know don't just just you know it's like a really bad flu yeah um but in the last 48 hours yeah it was it went from oh man Tom Hanks got Corona. Tom Hanks got, oh man, his wife does, oh man. Yeah, man. And then it was like, man, it's been a long time since the Lakers have been good. You know? Yep. Kobe passed. 
Now, th- now the Lakers are solid. They're finally going to be playoff ready and again. Boom. NBA Done. canceled. Done. The NBA yep. is canceled. Tom Hanks. Isaac's Corona. a Laker fan, by the way. This uh, yeah, is it's very, been a rough yeah. decade. And this then, is... um, and then on top of that, we're in California, and right now, like literally today, yeah, the state is recommending that if that, that if there's an assembly of 250 or more, that you not meet. Yep. So literally today, our churches, both Jay and, and mine and yeah. many others, are having to wrestle with canceling churches. Yep. And then what do we do? Do we lean into technology? Yeah. Um, you know, and so sort of like maybe a critique and a pushback and yep. here to see how you respond. Yeah. It's like, look, technology is saving us. Now yeah. we could live stream our services yeah. to all of the people who can't come to, to church type <laughs> yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yep. What an interesting time. I, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot for the last 48 hours. The irony is not lost on me that I'm in the midst of preparing to launch a book, yeah. arguing for showing up in a time when it's, it may be wise to not show up for a while. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts, um, uh, that are not fully formed, but I guess one of the things I'll say, I've thought about this as we lean into leveraging digital technologies um, while we cannot, uh, for wisdom, for, for reasons of wisdom and responsibility, I think, mm-hmm. while we cannot physically gather, um, as leaders, I think what we have to do is communicate very clearly that this is a circumstantial compromise and not an ongoing convenience. Mm. That's vitally important because this, this season, however long it lasts, is going to be formative one way or the other. Because mm-hmm. make no mistake, church leader, when you go online, as our church might, um, it will it will be very comfortable and convenient for your people mm. to just click a few buttons and watch. And that very well may be where we're headed for a while. But we have to communicate, this is not an ongoing convenience. Mm-hmm. This is a temporary circumstantial compromise. We are compromising yeah. for the sake of w- making a wise and responsible decision to promote the flourishing of people in our city and town. You know, but but we have to communicate that clearly. And even online, I think that there are ways to do it in such a way um, that we do our best to try to bridge the digital divide as much as possible. So for our church, one of the things we're talking about right now via text and phone calls is... Um, you know, if we if we film the gatherings and just put it up online, that's one thing. And, and no matter what we do, it'll live online probably for yeah. people to go back and watch. But I think what we're going to try to do is lean into and communicate in such a way that we're not saying, hey, the video is online, watch it. We're going to say we're still gathering. And yeah. it's not it's not the sort of gathering we ideally want, but for now – um, it's what we have. So we're going to gather at these times on yeah, these exactly. platforms, leveraging chats. You know, this is something that online churches already do. And I, I will applaud them for that. You know, that, you know, the prayer chat stuff. I would also argue it, it does not even come close to the human presence, the power of human presence when we pray for one another face to face. But it's what we have. So. Anyone who's had their church leaders gather around them yes. and in tears lay hands on them yes. and plead before God yep. for a rescue, a healing, a deliverance of any sort knows the difference. Even if the prayer isn't answered the way you want it to be, yeah. there is a, a, a 
the, the human experience is different than That's exactly right. giving 10 people thumbs up the prayer That's request. That's exactly right. When the pastoral call comes because, um, you know, that person's spouse is on their deathbed in the hospital, why do you as a pastor take the time, no matter what time of night it is, yeah. to get dressed, get in the car and drive? Wouldn't it be easier to FaceTime? But that would not even cross your mind. Yeah. Because the most important stuff of life... Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. You have to show up. You, know? you got to show so, up, yeah. yeah. But um, while we have while we have this, let's just do what we can, and I think that's... Yeah, the problem. word you used was convenience, and so um, fast food is very convenient, <laughs> yeah. and it's better than starving. Yeah, that's right. But you yep. don't want to live off McDonald's that's for great. too long. That's great. That's uh, right. Because it'll come up, it'll, it'll eat you. Yep. You won't eat it. It will eat you. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we'll so, eat nuggets for a while so during Corona. church service-wise yeah. during Corona, yeah. yeah. But let's get back to that filet mignon when we can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's like everything, man. You you know the difference when, when you hear a sanctuary filled with, with yeah. real human voices. It yep. does something to to your soul. Yeah. Um, maybe as we sort of wrap up, if you can give some real practical advice as to three different types of people in the room. That aren't in the room. They're listening. Uh, but we'll pretend if it's, if, if it's a room. Yeah. Um, to just church leaders, not necessarily senior pastors, but church leaders, you're in, you're in youth ministry and you're a youth leader. Yeah. Um, you have a small group or, or even down to someone who's a greeter at their church, just people who are involved in local church ministry. Then word to pastors. And then I was going to ask you to give a word to parents, but I, I'm going to steal that from you yeah. because there's a part of the book that... Uh, that I almost, I, I pretty much was going to shed a tear over um, because I thought it was so beautiful and so so profound. So maybe first to church leaders and then to pastors, and I'll close out with to parents. Yeah. Yeah, well, to church leaders, I would say the first thing I would say is thank you. Uh, I think the majority of you, you know, unless your role is to operate sort of the online presence of the church. Um, but even to you, thank you. You're just being faithful. But especially to the overwhelming majority of church leaders who serve in a wide variety of capacities, almost all of which are physical. You know, yep. I'm thinking about the folks in our church who show up an hour and a half before our 9 a.m. gathering every Sunday, and they put out parking signage, and they get the coffee ready, and they yep. hang signs and pick up trash and that sort of thing. That sort of physical embodied um, participation in the life of the church, whether it's preaching a sermon or putting out a sign or handing out a bulletin, those things are not just tasks to be done. Yeah. You're participating in the formation process yeah. of um, becoming shaped into Christ-likeness for all of us as a community. Yeah. Um, that sort of analog embodied experience matters more than you know. So I would say thank you, and I would um, push and prod you to see the, the the deep value and meaning in what you do, no matter what it is you do, and um, continue onward. Um, to church leaders, I would say um, think critically and thoughtfully and conversationally with other leaders in your area, ones that do what you do and ones that maybe don't do what you do and mm -hmm. ask questions and ultimately ask the question, who am I and who, who is, who is this church? Like, what is this church? Who are the people that make mm -hmm. up this community? And what are the unique, nuanced, contextualized um, 
uh, creative things about this community that I'm a part of for whatever, however long God has you there and lean into those things. Mm. Don't try to be the big, hot, whatever, you know, thing yeah. you see on in, in the conferences or read about in the books or whatever. Be the thing that God has called you to be. Be the leader God's called you to be. And um, go go down the long path of discovering that about yourself and about your church. Because mm. um, one, it's it's a really incredibly exciting journey to go on. And two, it, it it is not until we do that work of discovering the unique contextualized realities of the the people and the communities we serve. It's not until we do that work that we're going to be we're going to actually be effective, uh, the way God has called us to be. The word to parents that stuck out to me um, was a story you shared in your book about your mother. Mm. Your mother was a single mother, mm. oftentimes working two and three jobs. Yep. Um, to provide for little Jay. Mm-hmm. And in it, you talk about how your mom, on top of the two and three jobs of single parenting, <clears throat> every night would have family worship time. Yep. And family worship time is reading scriptures yeah. aloud together. For extended and praying. periods. It extended, wasn't a couple verses. It, it wasn't was like a, chapters. And yeah, it was like, yeah. tonight, little Jay, it's Leviticus, yeah. Deuteronomy, and Joshua. <laughs> totally. Let's go, man. Um, and you talked about how you know, as a kid, just like, oh man, yeah. another chapter is just like, um, but looking back after you see the, not only the benefit of it, but you cherish it and yeah. you see your mother's faithfulness. Yeah. You see that the stories of scripture shaped who you are as an individual yeah. and that <clears throat> the faithfulness of your mother shaped you, but she did so by just A, even though she was tired and exhausted, yeah. being there. And pouring God's word over you, yeah. and part of your advice to the church leaders, to pastors, and even what we're telling telling parents right now, comes down to simple embodied acts yeah. of being present and and, and showing f- faithfulness to the individual and to the Lord. And p- part of my gripe right now of what's going on is there's a lot of um, if. If it's not going somewhere across the world and changing the world and reaching millions, then it ain't faithful mm. type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm oversimplifying it, but there's, there's, it's the Disney version of Christianity. There's a romanticization of discipleship yeah. where it has to be some big, giant, lofty thing. Right. Um, and the truth is, it's the little things. It's the people showing up an hour and a half early to fold handouts and bulletins. It's the people showing up early to make sure the slides are ready so the lyrics are on the screen. Whatever it may be, it's those actions over time that shape individuals. Um, And the story of your mom, like I said, I almost like shed a tear because it was like, that's that's what faithfulness looks like. And um, to the parents who are listening, you know when it's all said and done and you're on your deathbed, you're not going to give a crap about any of the stuff you saw online, right. on Facebook or social media. You want to be there and you want your child to sing Amazing Grace as you go meet the yeah. Lord type of thing. Yep. And you want you to see your kids and your grandkids faithful. And yeah. so as parents, be there. Yeah. It sounds simple, but read the scriptures to your kids. Yeah. Read over them. Pray with them. Yeah. Uh, and that's truly how you how you change. Mm. That's how you change the world. Yeah. Wow. So the uh, book again is Analog Church. I'm going to ask you what you usually ask our guests. 
where can we find you <laughs> online? Because so we want weird, these man. to sell 100,000 copies. Yeah. I want to see Analog <laughs> Dog in three years. That'd be awesome. Yeah, uh, this has been so fun and strange sitting on the other side of the table. Uh, yeah, the book's just Analog Church, um, why we need real people, places, and things in the digital age. You can find it anywhere. You can find books, little boutique online place called Amazon might be one, but anywhere else. Um, yeah, and then I have a little uh, website, jkimthinks.com. And the book stuff is on there, and a bunch of our regeneration stuff is linked there as well. And so you can just find me there too. Great. Yeah. Big Fun things times. ahead, Jay. Thanks, man. Everyone's excited at Regeneration Project for this. And um, honestly, everyone's just kind of, it's kind of weird because we're all peers, but I know I like speak for Dan and myself. Like, we're just so proud of you, of, of your work. And it's like, we just want to pitch on to you and uh, <laughs> let you let you lead the way so thanks for uh, sitting down and chatting yeah thanks dude